Welcome to Solutions, where men come out of the shadows to testify, giving tips in manhood, honor the codes of integrity, and give out real solutions for soul survival. Today, we have on the show a multifaceted creator, a man who will help you develop your life through conversation and goal setting. He is unapologetic about his quest to grow integrity and accountability in manhood. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome fellow podcaster, the information technician, the chief the chief executive connector himself, Mr. Pablo Gonzalez. Shame, thank you, brother. I love uh I, I love to watch people intro people, man. I think it's very telling when you when you take the time to to create kind of like your own spin on who somebody is. I I, I think it's a wonderful, wonderful attribute, and I'm honored to be on your stage, my friend. So thanks for having me, man. I'm pumped. Man, I appreciate it. I am super excited to have you here as well. We connected and we knew automatically that we were both on the same journey. I'm Amen. excited to hear. Are you ready to drop these gems today and answer these questions? So ready, let's go. <laughs> All right, here we go. What person did you meet or see that gave you the drive towards the man you are today? Who or what defined you? There's a couple different ways to answer this, Sheem, right? Like, number one, I've been very blessed with having positive male role models inside of my family. My dad's my hero, my best friend, right? My dad's my dad's a guy that left Cuba when he was 14 years old, overnight kind of thing, right? When the Cuban revolution took off, showed up to Miami and made it, right? Like he's, he's and, and, and he's made it based on hard work, integrity, upholding this like very high ethical standard and doing things right. So, you know, number one, I got to say my dad, I got two amazing grandparents, right? My, my grandfather named Pablo is a dude that started, uh, he's, you know, came from the, the country in Venezuela, right? Like just, just like out in the, out, out in the, out in the field, oldest of like nine, grabbed his next oldest brother and said, we got to go to Caracas, the, the capital. I'm going to be a doctor. You're going to be a lawyer. Let's go. And, and started from zero and built up, you know, my mom's the oldest of six and, you know, my, my, my grandfather's a guy he's passed, but started a, a, um, a tree planting nonprofit back in the day. And he's become this guy that, you know, people, people speak of very fondly and, and learn to windsurf at the age of like 60 type thing, you know, like that kind of guy. And then my Cuban grandfather, who's probably the funniest dude I've ever met in my life. You know, it's like, it's, I don't know if you watched the Dan Levitard show on sports center, right. But like the, that like old loud Cuban guy archetype, uh, yeah. who again, man, you know, had a, he, he started this pharma company in Cuba and overnight decided the way that things are going, I got to go to Miami and start over. Right. So I, I have, I have no excuse on, on resiliency. And those three guys have very, very much shaped my life as well as my uncles. Uh, I, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make it more accessible, right? Like I, I, I felt very fortunate to come from a well-structured family that supported me and I never really lacked anything. On the other side of that is a whole bunch of expectation, a whole bunch of expectation of sticking to the program. This is how it worked for us. If you're veering away from this path, does it mean that you don't accept what I did as valuable? And as I became my own man in my life, and I started, I, I, I've always been a fence tester, right? Like the, like that scene out of Jurassic Park where it's like the, the velociraptors test a different part of the fence every single time. I'm always fence testing, man. And I've always walked a pretty traditional path. 
but it's been, it's been because I fence tested everything and I'm like, oh, okay, the traditional path is what works. Right. right. But throughout my life, I I've always felt that I have this expectation on me and I want to deliver on it. Right. Like I, I, I do feel that I've been given everything I need to strive for greatness and achieve it. I never liked the path laid out in front of me. And as I reached my mid to late thirties and I started formulating my own decisions of, I love the destination. I don't like this path. I want to carve my own path through this jungle. Give me the machete. Let's go. It was getting introduced to Gary V getting introduced to, you know, not person to person Gary V. Right. But like I was, I was at this, I was at this conference in my, in my past life. I came from 15 years in the construction industry. And at this point in my life, I had been there. I had never really liked the construction industry. I had succeeded on like just about every level of it, but I never really was into it. And I was sitting there debating whether I take this offer for 130 grand a year based with, you know, with upside of being the head of business development for a construction company that looked just like what the construction company that I worked for that then got acquired and lost its soul, what it was before. And, you know, I, I, I believed in that or do I go take this really risky partnership for a startup for e-commerce sellers, like a software and move to Jacksonville and leave everything behind and kind of like reinvent myself and start over. And as I was, as you can imagine, my, my support system wanted me to take, this is the next part of your career. You go take over this head of business development thing in construction. And I just always felt like I was leaving a lot of meat on the bone and it, and it, and it came at, it came from a lack of motivation. I wanted to, you know, I wanted to try something new at a certain point. I had the conversation with my dad. That's like, listen, man, I know that on paper, this doesn't make sense, but this is about more than that, right? Like this is about proving to myself if I'm full of shit or not, <laughs> right? Like no. if it's, it, it, if I'm, I, if I am really ready to go to bat with my beliefs and my ideals and the things that I have formulated on my own and whether or not that'll work and whether my lack of perceived self-perceived lack of work ethic comes from something that I'll never overcome or if I'm just haven't put myself in the situation where I really just need to show up and make it happen. And as I'm doing that, I go to this green building conference and I'm talking to this developer, a guy a little bit older than me, right? Like, but, but within my same age range who is doing really cool stuff and I'm, and I'm, you know, I'm building rapport and this is late 2017 so it's like right when like podcasts are becoming a thing right like serial already happened i'm already like listening to fantasy football podcasts instead of reading fantasy football articles stuff like that and i'm like asking him so you know what are you into these days are you, are you listening to podcasts like yeah man i'm on this guy gary v and i turn on gary v and i'm i'm literally just trying to build rapport with this dude so i'm, I'm just like i'm gonna give this a shot i didn't like him at first right like as the the hard charging jersey jets fan guy did not really speak to me um but as i listened to him more and more his message of the people in your inner circle that most care for you have a different set of priorities for you right they want you to be safe they don't want you to suffer there's a certain point where you're reaching this growth spurt in you know a personal growth spurt where you're going to have to short-term disappoint those people that are just trying to protect you in order to grow and in order to prove something to yourself if that's who you think you are and so that message at that moment in my life really really mattered to me and then on top of that as i watched what gary v was doing i had just spent the last 10 years networking through nonprofits and being part of nonprofit boards and developing this formulation of like, dude, you can business develop 
by adding value to people. Like you don't have to be this like salesy cheese dick that is just trying to convert and trying to like push uh, business cards in front of people's faces and whatnot. And like, and asking for the sale all the time. If you can provide your, if you can make yourself more valuable to people's lives than what you ask for, you can, you can sell and be a business developer. You just got to put in the work to do it. And I had never really seen a formula for that outside of spending 10 years in community development and then leveraging that. Cause that's what I had done and seeing Gary V leverage it through content was very eye opening. And on top of that, he was the first ever business leader that is undeniably successful. That's also an alpha dude that's out there beating his chest. Like, you know, doesn't sound like a hippie, right? That is out there talking about you can win through kindness. You can win through being the person that serves. And that's the language that I had developed. And I'm like, bro, I needed this archetype. And ever since then, Gary Vee has kind of been my North star. So, you know, at the end of the day, it goes back to something that we were talking about. And the reason why I brought up Gary Vee is because we now have mentorship at scale, right? Like if you don't come from, I, I know that I was extraordinarily fortunate to come from like a really healthy family with guys that were ready to invest in me. But if you don't have that, now mentorship is at scale, right? Like I, I recently read Steve Jobs's autobiography and I'm reading it and downloading all the knowledge from it. It's great. But there's also Gary Vee, there's also Lewis Howes, there's Tim Ferriss, there's all these people that are out there on a day-to-day basis documenting everything that they're learning. And you don't really need to know them to tap into that genius and have them be your mentor and learn from their lessons of what they're doing. So, you know, to me, the key is find this archetype that you really, that really resonates with you and deconstruct it, man. Just like get, get really deep into their content and how they think. And it's like, yeah, at a certain point, it's going to get repetitive, but you're not looking for their advice. You're looking to see how they live their life and how they make decisions. And you get that by just spending time with them in your ear, reading their books, watching their content, and you're able to reverse engineer and, and see what fits for you. And you can pick a tribe of those people to, to be able to do that. Reverse engineering is one of the biggest things you can do when you're trying to accomplish a goal, right? You get to see it at the end goal and then you go backwards and figure it out from step by step, what's best steps for you. And I thank you for sharing that today. Gary V, the Dan Levitar show, your uncles, your father, your grandfather, so much to dissect there. There's so many great things that you said Talk to me about the moment where, because I get this from Jay-Z as well. You quoted some, you, you quoted Gary Vee, but I quote Jay-Z when he says, you, you're not doing all these things to stay the same. And sometimes mm-hmm. people want you to stay in a certain box because that's where they met you at. And they don't expect for you to go any further than what you are. Not that they don't care about you. They just, they found comfort in who you are right here because you're not challenging their ego. You're not challenging their accountability to support you. They just want you to stay right here. Talk to me about the moment that you decided to say, hey, I I love my family. I love the roadmap, but there's a new way about, I'm a construction worker for 15 years. I know new terrain. I know new angles. Let me go out here and step out and do what I need to do. Talk to me about the moment you decided to change your mind, to get out there and free yourself up to be the person you wanted to be. I don't know if there's, I don't know if there's one moment, but this gives me the opportunity to talk about something that I don't think I've ever spoken about. And I think it fits into this, the theme of the show, which is manhood and evolving manhood. And it's, as I said, I grew up always kind of 
feeling like I didn't have a problem that I didn't create for myself, mm-hmm. right? You know, I come, I come from means, I have a family that loves me, mm-hmm. whatever. That breeds a lot of complacency. And it really wasn't until my relationship with my wife where I very much started to see something that challenged me the same way that you're saying, right? This whole like how you show up is how you have to stay. Mm-hmm. That really that really started to challenge me because I married my wife. I knew that she had had a history where she had this really traumatic sexual abuse thing happen at, when she was younger within her family, tore her family mm-hmm. apart. I know she was coming at it from, from trauma. She was always very clear with me. And as, as we came closer and closer together, I made a very conscious decision to not keep the fronts that I have with everybody else, right? Like it's very easy for me to come across as this polished dude from the outside looking in. I don't really have to share a lot of insecurities for people to buy into. Yeah, I believe in this guy, right? Yeah. But as I got closer and closer to my wife, I, I very much decided to, to be very honest about this idea of leaving meat on the bone, this idea of, you know, I feel like I'm the modern age equivalent of like Huck Finn out here where I'm just like kind of like hoodwinking everybody into doing stuff for me and me looking good, but not really ever learning anything. And the more honest I got with her about it, and then conversely, the more I saw how hard she worked every single day Mm. at overcoming the obstacles that were put in front of her, right? So Mm. at a certain point, all the stuff came to a head when she, I met her kind of like right after her first breakthrough with therapy and stuff like that. And then things were kind of like good. And then there was this whole other traumatic moment that, that re-happened to her where she struggled with uh, pre-cervical cancer and the invasive procedures brought back some flashbacks and, you know, a couple of things coincided. And it also happened around the same time that the Me Too movement broke out. So it's like, you couldn't get away from the conversation. And at that point, I saw her just really going to work on what she's doing. And in the meantime, I was kind of coasting, right? Like I was, I had sold my, I had sold my, you know, I got acquired. My first business that I started was this green building consulting thing. I got absorbed by my biggest client, uh, came in house as director of sustainability about a year or two into it. I had everything dialed in. I was just like on an Island without really a career track inside the company, but because I was the in-house expert, nobody was ever really going to question like what I'm doing. Like they didn't have like the background to question what I'm doing. Mm. And to them, everything was cool, but I was working like 15 to 20 hours a week. And I knew that as soon as somebody takes a closer look, something's something's going to shake up here, but I was just kind of writing that out. Right. Like I was writing that out, investing in the whole community stuff that I was doing, but I really wasn't working on myself. And there was a moment at the, cooking dinner together when she was just like, well, you know, why aren't you doing this? Or why aren't you doing that? And I'm like, boo, you know, you are working really hard on yourself because you're trying to like, you know, overcome something. I don't have anything to overcome. Like I'm good, right? Like I'm, I'm cool. Like you can't, you can't have the same expectation for yourself that you have of me because I don't need it. And I had this like out of body experience where I'm like, who is this asshole? You know, like uh, as, as those words came out of my mouth, I'm just like, is this how I want to show up? Right? Like, am I, am I really just saying, nah, I'm good punting on third and one while you're like going forward on like fourth and 25 from your own goal line, you know, you know, yeah. And, and, and 
and I don't know if it's the competitive nature in me or just the, or, or, or just the, what is right is right. Like I, I did not want to show up in my relationship as somebody that wasn't, that was going to just watch somebody do all this work. And, and, and I was just kind of coast with what was given to me, right? Like I saw her taking what was given to her and make so much more out of it. And again, when I talk about my father and my grandparents, I think about these guys that had nothing and they took so much more out of it. Right. So like, right. what's my excuse, right? Like I, 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 I like to say that if Ted Kaczynski would have had my parents, he would have been Bill Gates. He wouldn't have been the Unabomber. You know what I'm saying? So like, I need to, I need to take what I'm given and not coast on it, but I got to improve it. And I'm not going to improve it. If I'm just showing up as that, as that person, that's just like, I'm cool with the status quo. And it was at that moment that I really just made this decision of, I got to seek, man. Like I, I, I know that I don't know what I'm seeking, but I got to seek because I can't, my marriage is not going to work out long-term if my wife is always seeking and always improving. And I'm the dude that's just looking around and be like, no, we're good. You know, I, I, I think that was really the moment, man. I've had, I've had other major aha moments in my career that have been these revelations, but I think that was, that was the, the singular moment that really transformed my idea of, I can't just, I've, I've gotten as far as I'm going to get with what I've already put the work into from here on out. If I need to, if I, if I want to like reach that next level, it's going to have to come from within. And that was about four years ago. Thank you for sharing that. I think the, the biggest that the biggest thing that hit me that you said was the comparison to sports. You were given the playbook. You were given the quarterback spot. You were given all the plays. You called all the huddles. And then your wife, life circumstances, put her in a game that she didn't want to play and made put her on the track team. Yeah. But she didn't have a chance to see what sport she really enjoyed. So then she had to run all those miles to make sure when she looked to the left or right, whether she wanted to play a different sport, volleyball, softball, whatever it is, or play football, right? And then she started to challenge you because women incubate, they make you better. And she made you better. And I'm sure a lot of great things are happening since you decided to open up. And we appreciate you. We appreciate you letting people know that a great woman makes you better. 100%, bro. Like, listen, the, 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 the night I met my wife, the next day I was like, you're my muse, right? Like, you're, you're my muse. Like, I've never been so inspired by meeting somebody. We met, yes. you know, it's, it's, like a, it's like a date date movie, right? Like story um, where we met in this wedding in Venezuela and it all worked out really, really well, man. Uh, and it's held true. It's held true, right? Like my greatest inspirations, a lot of a lot of the source of just how hard I go at the work of Brené, everything from just like, you should check out Brené Brown to calling me on my own bullshit kind of stuff is has been really, really instrumental, man. And I had, man, we, we've gone through some dark moments in this, in this battle with, with her trauma and with while growing personally and, you know, really challenging the status quo. But I go back to this moment, man, there's, there's been times back against the wall where I'm just like, is it time to put my mask on first as this air, airplane's going down kind of thing. And to be honest with you, dude, there was this really serendipitous moment that happened in my, I lost my brother to pancreatic cancer and in his final moments, right? Like he, he passed away like January 3rd and we had this really spiritual moment with him on Christmas night where he's clearly on his deathbed and we're gathered around the, the bed and 
you know, he's struggling to speak, but he's kind of just, it was kind of this like everybody around saying goodbye to him kind of thing with him giving his like final counsel. And I was, I was really struggling with the idea that my task, my role that he had put on me was to be the man in his son's life that would help him transition through this. Right. And, you know, I, I really heavily questioned myself on that. I, and as, as we're all having our final things, I'm like, Bert, I don't know if I can do this, man. I don't know if I can replace you in Danny's life. And he, in his, he was in hospice, we're Catholic. So we had a Catholic hospice and the priest had told us that there's going to be these moments where it feels like he's in between two planes. And when I leaned in and he spoke to me, he said, you don't have to replace me in his life, right? You just got to be you in his life. Just like Marta told you, just be yourself. And that was this thing, this advice, you know, is that, oh, what he said was follow what Marta tells you. You know, like she has been telling you, you don't have to replace me in your life. You just have to be you. Just follow what she says. And that's not a conversation I'd ever had with him, right? Like that was just yeah. like, I was having this with, with my wife as like this insecurity is bubbling up. So this was one of these like in between the spiritual plans moments. Mm. And I've kind of taken that as my brother seeing that within within my relationship with my wife is the answer to not just this moment, but it is these answers. And at our deepest, darkest moments, when I'm questioning whether or not this can work out, because she was like in the darkest pit of her trauma. And I was in like the darkest moment of my transition from like believing in myself to being out on a limb to breaking the limb off and then trying to build the airplane on the way down kind of thing. At that moment, I would just take these like walks on the beach and, and try to talk to my brother. And it always, you know, that, that, that idea that this message from another dimension through my brother's mouth was the one that said, no, 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 no. She has been your guiding beacon. This, she has been your muse. Lean into that and continue it. You can't let this go. Has, has really been something that's carried me in, in some pretty, pretty deep, like in two specific, very dark moments of our relationship. Um, yeah, so that's to the point of your wife, your partner, one relationship that you have that can be so important to you, that can really, really bring out the best in you, and the perspective of femininity in, in your male mind, I think is a point not to be missed, because that that brings you balance, right? Like somebody that can like juxtapose you but complement you at the same time and and fill you in on the perspective that you need slash be the rock for you when you're down but it comes with the work of you need to you need to do the same thing right back like it's got to be reciprocal and it's and it's got to work right like i i know that there are times in our relationship where i'm like she's on empty i got to i got to do extra rowing extra pushing of the of, of the car here um and I can't get stuck on the short termness of it. Like, oh, I feel like I'm doing everything. I just gotta, I just gotta stay in this mindset of what can I be doing, right? Like, what can I do to contribute? Because I know that there are times where I'm on empty and I need that piece. And I think everybody kind of needs that. I think everything you're saying in my mind, metaphorically speaks of to a gallon of water, a jug of water. 
you come as a gallon of water. You come full because you think you learned all these things in life. But when you pour some of yourself out, the one thing, the most important thing I want to take my hat up to you is allowing someone to fill you up. That is the biggest step you can make to being a better person. Because you, if you leave your lid on while someone's trying to pour into you, nothing gets in. You have to take the lid off and allow people to pour inside of you. And that's what you did. You met a person who grew you in all the ways you needed to grow, even though you had so many things to unlearn and relearn with inside your own water jug, you still left space to grow. And that's the most important thing that people need to understand. Allowing people who love you, who are in your corner to actually help you grow. That is one of the first steps of how to get back up in those dark moments. Goal setting, I would say, and then allowing people, the right people, the people with intent that have always been there, allowing their voices and allowing their energy to soak you up, to help you stand up. It's not I just- I agree. I agree and I would, I would add that in order for that to happen, you need to be generous with your water. Mm-hmm. Like you need, to, you, need to, you need to be generous with what you had when you were full and not be worried about keeping it full and be worried about, you know, how can you distribute this water in ways that fills other people up so that when you are low on water, they have enough to give you too. So I, I, but yeah, the accepting piece is huge. Absolutely. I appreciate you, man, for sharing all of that. Do you have a vision board? I don't have a physically made vision board, but I did at one point in early 2019, when I went from this construction life to taking this opportunity at a startup to proving my thesis working at this startup, right? Like understanding that I had figured out how, I knew I had amassed the pieces that I needed to create my future of proving that community creation is the future of business development, but I hadn't really partnered with the right guy that I wanted to build this empire with. So I walked, so I walked away from that and I, you know, like this is the out on a limb and snap it off, right? Like I had this conversation with my dad about this, Yeah, this is, this is, I had this conversation with my old man of just like, I'm not taking the, the obvious move. I'm taking this other move and it has nothing to do with the health of the company, nothing to do with, you know, the dollars and cents of it all. Right. Like I, at the end of the day, I took a a lower salary to move to a cheaper place that, you know, I, I left behind my network. And when it became time to realize that I got a whole bunch of value out of this interaction, but this is as far as I want this interaction to go. Cause now it's spilling out into other things. Cause the partnership isn't right. Yeah. And I decided to, all right, I'm just going to quit. And at the end of the day, I knew that my, I knew that my worst case scenario was I'm going to spend a year doing something as different from construction as I possibly could imagine, which is like the online world of entrepreneurship and, and selling on Amazon online arbitrage, right? Like the, 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 the grittiest kind of like form of it all. And I knew that, I knew that that middle ground would provide a fertile place for me to reinvent myself. So I knew that that was the worst case scenario and I was there and I was willing to accept it. And I took it off. And then my wife, right. Told me I'm, I'm a connector, man. I get opportunities thrown at me all the time. Right. Like my problem is saying no, as opposed to like, what am I going to do next kind of thing? Right. 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 So it, it was my wife's idea to say, all right, you just, you just, you know, broke this off. You can, go look for your next opportunity and fall in love with the next guy that, you know, 
offers it to you, which is kind of my weakness. I fall in love with everybody that I meet, right? It's my weakness and my superpower, right? Why don't you take a 90 day detox? Why don't you take a pause, figure out where you want to be in 10 years and reverse engineer from there. And that 90 day purposeful pause that I took at the beginning of 2019 completely changed my life. So I did spend 90 days thinking about not making a vision board, but thinking about what is my next 10 years need to look like? What is my destination? What is that all about? You know, what does that mean? Like, what's my lifestyle? Who, what I want to be known as, what I want to be working on in 10 years and, and reverse engineer from there. So, you know, I, long story short to saying that, no, I don't have a vision board. No, but that it's okay that you don't have one, but you have a vision. If you can give us one apex goal that you achieved and one apex goal you're currently chasing within this realm of where you want to be in 10 years. Yeah, man. So, you know, I took that, I took that 90 day purposeful pause and I didn't know where I was headed. Right. I just wanted to, to figure it out. I didn't have this language of whatever. And, and my move was I booked four conferences and because I knew that I was going to be anxious, not taking action action. But what I wanted to be, was spinning it. Right. Like I wanted to just be talking to people, be like, Oh man, this is what I'm thinking about. What do you think? Yeah, no. All right. What about this? So I, like I came out of this like 90 day cycle with a spreadsheet of like 450 people that I had connected with, um, that are now happy to take my call. Cause I showed up as just like, Hey, I'm here to be friends and talk to you about what I'm passionate about. I find out what you're passionate about. Right. Absolutely. And that iteration led to this vision of, I want to prove to the world that community creation is the future of business development. Right. So that is, that is where, that is where I sit. And this last year, 2020, I proved it one time irrefutably of exactly how the fuck you do this, right? Like I, I took a, I took a client that is a $150 million company and I've been working with him for a little bit over a year now. And we took, we, we took what they were doing implemented my beliefs and my process and my architecture around everything that I thought would make this thing go. And by December 22nd, we started January 28th, 2020. This is a company that's been around for 14 years, been in the Inc. 5,000 fastest growing companies the last eight, been on the front page of the Wall Street Journal twice. They win best place to work in Jacksonville every year for the last six years. I want to announce my first book, 10 Most Effective Ways to Reignite Self-Love. It's a deep reflection and deep dive into yourself, how to make yourself better overall. Check it out. It's available in paperback, ebook, and audiobook. If you want more info, email me at solutionsformen at sheen1.com or the author at sheen1.com. Let me know. You can RSVP one if you like. Now back to the show. We started this, we started this show, right? Like, like I, I can explain the whole formula, right? But we started this, this show that was meant to drive community inside their clientele while creating all this content that drives sales and creates relationships with strategic relationships. Started January 28th, December 22nd, we had a fan appreciation show that turned into an hour and a half of client slash community member after client slash community member coming into the call and talking about like, man, this show has been such a value to my life. I feel like I'm a part of a community and being a part of this is exactly what's made me want to do business with you. Right? So an hour and a half of like six minute after six minute testimonials of that and Q4 of 2020 was their biggest quarter that they've ever had. Right? So like, if you look at the graph, it's like audience growth and revenue growth, <laughs> uh, same. And, and, 
and Q4 has been the biggest quarter they've ever had with the biggest pipeline going into another quarter that they've ever had. Mm. And like January has not been the biggest January they've ever had. February is becoming the biggest February they've ever had. So I felt like Jordan winning his first ring. Like I was chasing this like one championship, which was just like, yes, this is, this is it. This shows that I know how to do this, not just for myself, but as a service and not just for an influencer, but a $150 million company that has already, you know, already a certain place. So that is to me the, I have proven that this is a viable strategy that wins big time, right? Like now this guy is like my number one, right? Like he's one of my best friends, the my, my client at this point, right? But he's also my biggest fan and like introducing me to everybody and telling everybody, dude, in 14 years of marketing, I have never done something so that, that has me in such a good shape and this and that, right? So, so that's irrefutable. Now my vision is how do we bring this to everybody, right? Like my, my vision is a future where you see somebody across from you and the more different than they are to you, the more of a value that you see in them, not the more scared you are of them, right? Mm -hmm. so, so, my, so my vision is this, how do we indoctrinate the world in this process of, if you can figure out who you're trying to serve and you can find out where you rely in that equation, right? Like what is the value I have to the people who I'm trying to help? And then have the humility to understand that there's a whole bunch of other stuff that they need. And if you can be the one that identifies how to present them with that value by seeing it from within your clientele themselves or, or prospects themselves, your network, people at arm's reach and present that value, you know, like how you can systematically identify the value that people have to offer and put it on a stage so that, so that it promotes that, right? Like that is, that is the vision for me of how you prove to people that like, yes, you can learn from others. And if you get really, really good at identifying the value in each person and articulating that value, then you've created this relationship flywheel for yourself. So the future vision is right now I have this $90,000 a year B2B client acquisition service, right? That is being sold to 20 to $150 million companies. And I'm like landing them like hotcakes. My pipeline is out two months of just like people that want to do business with me that just got to go through my cycle. Um, so that's happening. The next move is publish the book where it's like the formula. And then the next move is publish, you know, so, so, and that's on the way ghostwriters hired framework is done. So right. once, once I have that out, then the vision is, all right, you've read this book and you want to do this for yourself. You can't pay me 7,500 bucks a month. How can I create the architecture of something that like enables people like right now I have done for you. How can I create the architecture of do it for yourself? And then once, once we get past that part, it's how can I create the architecture of teaching people how to do this for others, right? So I, th that's kind of like the three levels that I got to get. And within all that is a software play where mm -hmm. what I'm really working on is relationship scaling. So I want to design this category that is relationship scaling. And what I mean by relationship scaling is it's not CRM, it's not marketing, it's not networking, it's, you know, it, it's not social media. It is how do I, how do I design the software that is the Zoom, the Zoom webinar also tied into the video editing software, tied into the distribution that functions as CRM so that everybody that you're talking to, you can very seamlessly be like, oh, Sheen just talked to Pablo who knows really in-depth content strategy. And my CRM has 
this catalog of people that are in a certain part of their business where what they need is content strategy. How do I very seamlessly take this one hour conversation and share with them the best five minutes that are most applicable to these people so they can learn from that. And if they want to connect with Pablo, they can connect as well. Right. So, so that's, that's the vision of it is the, the big goal is creating this category, having people understand that we are now in this phase of the world where we're able to have more relationships than ever, right? Like, like you've never been able to like wish your buddy from middle school that you hadn't talked to in 10 years, a happy birthday on their birthday, then, you know, now you can't, right? So, so that means you have, so that means you have way more relationships than you've ever had before. You're able to keep up with way more people. What does that mean for the way that our, that our, that our society operates and what does that mean for business? What does that mean for community? And what does that mean for like the fabric of society? And, and, and packaging all that into a category means there's going to be some methodologies about it. There's going to be some tools like the software, and then there's going to be like thought leadership and, 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 and behavioral sciences in that space. So like, to me, the formulation of that, that one category of like, how do we transcend what's happening right now, where we're going from being able to have this many relationships in our life to being able to have this many relationships with our life and that architecture and that thought space. That's, that's the big vision that I really, really want to accomplish that I think I'll get to in like three to five years. Absolutely think you'll get there. I think one thing that we, that resonates with me that I've seen and I've learned from being on the show is most men have that moment where they have to sit in the dark and listen to their own heartbeat and shed their skin. And that's when they really find out what their plan and agenda is. Some of us, it takes 35 years. Some of us takes 30, some of us takes 25, some of us know immediately. You sat in the dark and you shedded your skin. And then you picked up yourself as a, as a free agent and went to a team that you could help win championships. And then you formulaically came up with a program that helped everybody be the best versions they can be. And that is awesome. And that is an awesome agenda. And I want to commend you because so many of us have drive. But when we get in the vehicle, we don't know where we're going. We have no destination. You have a destination, you reverse engineer. That is a gem, ladies and gentlemen. Reverse engineer where you're going because success is on purpose. Routine is on purpose. And only a few moments in life shall things be unpredictable. You should be able to predict where you're going in many instances if you know where you're going. So first thing, first is the destination. But I ask you, you have a tall glass of water you're trying to drink there. What type of affirmations are you telling yourself? This, this world of affirmations and quite frankly, routine and discipline is pretty new to me, man. Right? Like I, I, I feel, I feel like I'm somebody that I never bought into discipline because the, the combination of talent and at the end of the day, I was very blessed in this extremely positive upbringing where I've always just assumed stuff is going to work out. And right. that has been generally manifestations for me, but it's never been deliberate. As I get to this moment now where my whole life, people have seen me as this like kind of CEO leader type of person. And I've just seen myself as a talented dude that can spin it and can get by, right? Like the Huck Finn kind of thing. Yeah. And as I, as I'm, as I'm like walking off after my first championship and I'm like, this is real. What people, what people have been seeing in me is here. And I'm, and I'm really, I'm really starting to see. I love that. 
Yeah, I, I've really, in a way that never before, I see myself standing very vividly in a semi-industrial kind of like office space, lofty looking thing, like out of out of like ballers where they like set their headquarters, yeah, talking yeah. to 45, 50 people that are my that are my team saying, you know, this year, this is what we did. We stuck to our core values. The vision for next year is this. Let's go do this. We're changing the world, right? Like I really, I have goosebumps talking about, I really see that now. And I'm trying to stay in that headspace, right? Like I'm, I've, I've created, I've created a, I, so because of that, because I'm starting to believe it, now I'm buying into discipline. I'm like, all right, cool. I've gotten this far uh, uh, based on talent. I'm not going to get to that vision unless I now build in this like discipline stuff. So I, this, this is, this to me is the year of discipline, right? Like I'm, I am, I am setting up this morning routine where at least five days a week, I am journaling, meditating, exercising, mm -hmm. learning something new and, uh, and there's, and there's, oh, and stretching. Right. So, so I'm, I'm, I'm trying to build all that in and within it is this idea that whenever the alarm clock rings, I hit it and I tell myself, this is going to be the best day ever. Mm. I've, I've been doing that consistently now for since the beginning of this year. And I don't know if that counts as an affirmation. It, it, abs it absolutely does, Pablo. It absolutely does that you're building your chakras and you're adding affirmations. Absolutely. That is a gem. Absolutely. You have to tell yourself, talk to yourself. I talk, we talk, I talk about this often with other guests. Talking to yourself is the best thing you can do, regardless of how people feel about it. You have to get up because the, the God in you also knows what's best for you before anyone outwardly can tell you what's best for you. That voice in your head that speaks without you speaking tells you this is going to be the best day ever. And then you speak it into existence. This is going to be the best day ever. So I, I agree with you, man. I might take that. I'm going to take that for myself when I get up out of the bed from now on. I'm going to jump up and say, this is going to be the best day ever. It sends a shockwave to your senses that it is time to focus and have discipline. But along that road of discipline, please enlighten me. What have you sacrificed? I have a hard time with that, man. I... I'm, I'm definitely sacrificing. I find myself having to say no more, right? Like I, I find myself, I used to be very, I, I still am. I'm very externally motivated, right? Like I, I'm, I love to serve and I love to please. And what I'm sacrificing these days is that micro pleasure I can give people in order to bring this macro value to the world is the easiest way that I would say it. And that's, I, I understand it 1000%, but when you have a focus, you start to realize what is not inside of your focus. Even though you are a very good, genuine person, people then have to allow you to grow in their minds to say, Understand if he can't come to this. Understand if he can't help because that's not on his streamline of focus right now. That's not where he is. And we all start recognizing that in each other. It, it's more, it's even more amazing because now we're allowing each other to grow and we're also looking for moments where we can actually add to your focus. The best things about people who understand you is that they speak about you when you're not in the room and they're trying to grow you when you're not there. So I, I think that's an important thing. 
but along this road of focus, discipline, and sacrifice, let's reverse it. What have you procrastinated on and why? Dude, I procrastinate so on Right now, I am currently procrastinating on redesigning my customer onboarding process, right? Like I, I've, I've, I've had this, you know, I had this one really successful case study. I now have this pipeline of, I would say four to five clients that one is likely getting started March 15th. Two are probably going to get started by end of March or, or early April kind of thing. And while I laid out the framework of what their onboarding process is going to be in my head, and I sent them an email saying, we're going to have one meeting about this, one meeting about that, one meeting about that. And I have executed on these meetings in the past. I know that I'm at the point where I need to just document something that I'm going to walk in with. And I've literally gotten to the point where my business partner, I'm like, Isar, I know that I'm supposed to be doing this. It's really not going to happen until the day before we walk in there. <laughs> right? Like, like I, I'm just not, I'm not passionate about the, that stuff that isn't about to move the needle when I can spend that time building relationships and continuing to add value to people and, and interacting with others, which is where I'm in my zone of genius. Yes. So I am, I am, I am still procrastinating on, so that, uh, rewriting some of the messaging in my website, right? Like stuff, stuff like that is the stuff that I, that I procrastinate on that at the end of the day, like it sounds little, but if I'm taking this approach of discipline is going to scale my impact, right? I think that rewriting the messaging on my website is going to really, really help me affect this thing. It sounds like a minuscule thing, but it takes a lot for me to change my bio. It takes a lot for me to go in there and rewrite things I've already given energy to, because I'm, I'm pouring out so much. I'm trying to get to the mountain, the big, the big things. And that small thing of rewriting my bio really takes a lot of concentration that I don't want to deviate from what I'm doing right now to do it. So I understand you a thousand percent, but one of the four agreements says always do your best. And if we're going to do our best, we got to be unlike everyone else and sink ourselves down and concentrate and get that done. So I challenge you, sir, find it in you. We all have to find that, that one thing we, that pet peeve that we just don't feel like I don't tomorrow. I'll do it later. I'll do it tomorrow. Like I, I, I do that a lot. I do that a lot. You know, and then, but, and then there's two schools of thoughts about it, right? Like it's like the school of thought of, do you address your weaknesses or do you lean into your superpowers? Right. Exactly. I'm very comfortable leaning into my superpower. I know I do this really well, man. I know that every relationship that I start with, I leave it better off. By the end of the conversation, they're better off, right? Like I know I can, I know I can create value to people's lives when I'm talking to them. And I've never articulated this way, but maybe it's, maybe that's that comfort zone that I'm in. Whereas I fear that I may rewrite my website and it may not be the last draft and I'm going to have to do that again. And, and I'm not going to do that perfectly. Well, I know that I'm always hitting singles and doubles right here all day. You know what, what it's that fear of putting in that, that mental energy, that, that momentum shift into something else that I, I'm not a hundred percent sure if I'm the best that the world did, but I know I got to keep moving that ball forward and iterate. And you know, it's interesting. I always look at sports analogies for myself. I say to myself, when when an athlete comes back in bat, let's do basketball. When an athlete comes back with a new fadeaway jump shot, they worked on it the whole time throughout their off season. So I would like to tell people: find yourself an off season 
where you can go work on the weak parts of your game. So when you come back, people are like, oh man, not only does he dunk, shoot, score, whatever, he has a fadeaway now? When did he have time to add that to his recipe? But some some athletes take 10 years to add that to their game. Yeah. And then and then there's guys like LeBron James that's just a legit operator and is adding something to his game every single offseason, right? Like right. I I I get I get I deeply get that analogy, right? Like I love the NBA, man. Like my 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 opinion on LeBron James is is based around the fact that when he was in Miami in 2011 and lost that first championship to the Mavs and you know, he was out on his limb, it snapped off. Mm-hmm. What was his response? His response was one, marry his high school sweetheart. Two, reach out to Hakeem Olajuwon of how can I develop a post game so JJ Barrera doesn't post me up anymore, mm-hmm. right? So, you know, like like to me, I look at I look at I look at a dude that grew up as a child star, right? Like everybody from the moment he was fourteen, everybody around him knew he was going to be rich, yeah. without a dad. Who in the darkest moment of his life decided, you know what, you know what I need is not to go crazy, is not to whatever. What I need is to go to work. And what I need is to make my, to make the mother of my children into my wife. And I'm going to just like shut it out and I'm going to be the best man I can be. And to me that, that is like, you will never get me off of the idea that I think LeBron is not the best thing for sports, even no matter how much he complains to refs, no matter how much you thought the decision was crap, because you show me a man that in his darkest period, you know, found the light in the people around him and in giving back and going to work. And I tell you, that's somebody who I want my son to be like. Absolutely. Which leads you to my next question. You're going to be the, I want to say the 15th person or 16th person I ask this question. It's a new question. Okay. But I will preference by saying it is a very intrusive question. So it's two okay. things. I'm in. Wait. <laughs> <You're> in. <laughs> it's very intrusive. So I always I'm in. Tell you, I'm in. You don't have to answer it if you don't want to, but let me know if I should keep it or get rid of it. Also, are you ready for this question? Super in. Yeah. What was abusive to you that you thought was love? How did you recognize it? How long did it take for you to accept it? What was abusive to you that you thought was love? How did you recognize it? How long did it take for you to accept it? Yeah. All right. I read this book called The Road Less Traveled by M. Scott Peck, which is the the new psychology of love and religion and spirituality and you know and and and, and relationships. And it, it goes into these like four sections of discipline, love, uh, religion, and spirituality. And it's a it was one of these like groundbreaking in the 70s psychology books that is that 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 is the book that I go to when I when I'm struggling. It's the the book I've most gifted. And inside of it, it talks about what love is and what love isn't. And I grew up in this Hispanic Catholic kind of like guilt framework of I love you so much that, you know, I I care for you so much that I need to know everything you're doing and you can't deviate from the norm because I love you so much. Right. Like, Mm -hmm. and, and, and that is, that is what society teaches you at a certain point. I realized that that coming from one of my parents or somebody that loves me, I've never, I've never termed it as abusive, but I would still, but I would say it's degenerative right? Like it, 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 it harms you more than it helps you 
because what it does is fill you in on this idea that I'm living a life for that person based on obligation. You know, growing up, I would always tell myself that I need to prove to the world that I deserved my upbringing. And and that's still present in my language, right? Like, you know, I, I, I know that I got to make the world better because I've been given every opportunity to do it. And, and I think I have the talent to do it, right? Like, I know I have the talent to do it. Right. Now, at one point, I had to switch that conversation from I need to prove to the world that I deserve this away from that because within that statement was maybe I don't deserve this. Mm. You know, like I, you know, that, that feeling that, that double-sided thing of like, I love you so much. I'm doing all this for you so that you can do this for me has a, has a negative part of, did you really deserve this? Do you deserve this? Right? Like you haven't proven to me that the work I've put into you and the love that I've put into you is, was, was worthy of all that love. And I don't think that, I don't think that my, my family does that deliberately. I just think it's the language that exists in our culture right. is is like that. And those are the patterns that they've always lived. And that's how their parents talk to them and whatnot. But that's that's the work that I've had to really put into is this idea that, yeah, man, I started on third base, but that's neither here nor there. My I, I need to I need to stay in the zone of like, what can I do right now? that makes me feel like I am in my power serving others from, from my power and from the things I have to give, not what should I be doing right now that I should be doing because somebody else did for me before. And because of this, that, right? Like there is no linear path to, to, to proving your worth outside of just, you gotta be in every single moment. There is something that you can do to make the situation better. And it has nothing, and it has nothing to do with it. It may or may not have anything to do with the previous moment. It's just the moment that you're in right now. What can you do to make it better for yourself, for the person in front of you, for the people around you? Like, you know, letting go of the expectation and letting go of the, the, the guilt of obligation. And, you know, for me was a, something that manifested as lack of self-worth and really questioning myself. Once I got over that part, once I got over, again, that was that conversation of, me not following your path doesn't mean I'm not grateful for the path you took, for the things that you've done for me. It doesn't mean I didn't learn from it. It doesn't mean I don't admire it. It just means it's not my path. That's neutral. Friend to the show, Malik Mooney, a former guest, said something powerful to me. He said, you don't have to be bad to be bad for me. Mm. And that stuck with me in many ways. And that grew me. And what the things you're saying also grew me because... Like I said, people put you here and say, hey, you're this. Why are you trying to be this? I'm comfortable with you being this, but their comfort doesn't give you joy. So when your light shines a little different, you'll see who is accepting of your shine or not. And that's how you know who's within your focus. Yeah, yeah, I love that, man. I love that you don't have to be bad to be bad for me. I, I would... in the way that I would deliver that to somebody that I care about would say, you can be great without being great for me. <laughs> like, cause at the end of the day, it's like, it's like, man, I think, dude, I think my dad and my mom are great. Like they are amazing people, but I chose not to have kids. <laughs> you know, right. I, I chose, it doesn't mean that I thought that you made a bad choice. Like I'm very grateful for my life and everything yeah. you've done and the impact that you've created by having a family. Yeah. 
you know, that, that was great for you and you're great and you're a great influence on my life. And there's many things that I'm going to copy from the way that you go about things, right? My mom is the ultimate super connector, dude. Like I, I definitely get it from my mama on, on like the whole, like people to people, interpersonal valuing yeah. others and being of service. I also very much veer from her in the sense of there is one way to do things, right? Like, so, you know, like I, I, I love, you don't have to be bad to be bad well, for me. Generations man. always are the best, the next best thing. They add to whatever you already built. So they're an extension. Sometimes we build a huge house next to the small house you built. Sometimes we underachieve and they build a trailer house next to the huge house you built. We're all an extension somehow. We all take pieces of each other. You spoke about uncles, grandfathers, fathers, family, brothers. I have a question for you that I like to ask all the men on the show. I, I always smile because it's funny to me, but in a lot of our cultural communities, a lot of things that we run from certain topics. I have a question for you. Are you ready for this one? Yeah, bro, I'm in, let's go. <laughs> Did you ever get a sex talk? Who or what gave you sex education? Man, yeah, you know, it was funny. I remember, I remember this moment. I remember there was an article about talking to your kid about sex when I was like 12, 13 in the Herald. Yeah, and I'm like, dad, when are we gonna talk about? Uh, I was always the horny kid. <laughs> hey, is that wrong with that? Legit, like I've, I, like I've, like I've always been that guy, right? Like my older sister would call me the hormone, um, and, and 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 you know, like and, and I was always that. So I never really, I never really shied away from that, but it was never really framed in a way that. I consider healthy to society right now. Like I was all, you know, the, the male double standard in Hispanic society is you can be the horny predator and the woman has to be the virgin, whatever. And there is no space in between, right? Like there is no, there, there is zero or one. There is no like <laughs> point six, right? Yeah. So, so yeah, man, I had a, I remember reading that article and be like, dad, let's talk about sex. Cause I just wanted to talk about like, how do I finger a chick or something? Right. Like, yeah. but you know, so we had, we had a, we had a rudimentary conversation. You know, I don't know if, I don't know if I learned much from it, man. I, I think, I think my sexual education, quite frankly, I have an older brother that's eight years older than me. And, uh, and I was finding his like playboys in like 1984 hidden behind like the, the air conditioner and whatever, you know, cause we shared a room. So, and, and then we always had like an illegal cable box, right? So we had Spice Channel early on, right? So, you know, Spice Channel. The reason I asked the question is because across the board, culturally for everyone, it feels like we run from the most natural conversation in the world. And I always talk about if you don't make the right decisions or understand consciously understand that you love this, this is going to be amazing. But you could get a little over, you can overdo it and end yourself in a financial situation where the government is in your relationship because you're with a person you really don't want to be with. You have these kids. But if you took the time to understand that, yes, you will sometimes meet people that you don't want to take home forever, right? That is a real thing. But we need to actually tell and let people know this is this is going to happen. But we run from it. We, we keep, we try to do reactive instead of proactive. And I just want to talk about it on the show. So any man that might be listening, they might say, hey, you know what? I'm going to have the real conversation with my kid or the real conversation with my nephew, niece, whatever. 
dude, I would, I would challenge, I would challenge our friend that's watching or listening right now to not talk to your daughter or your niece different than you talk to your son, man. Like I, it's, it's so easy to just be like, yeah, son, you know, like I, I'll teach you how to get some, you know, like, yeah. like and, then, and then turn around your daughter and be like, I'm going to kill the guy that you bring home. That's bullshit. Man. <laughs> like it is. It's not, right. it's not, it's not empowering them to, to, to make them feel like they're, they're prey. Like, it's just not, it's not an empowering thought. Right. So, so I think it's really uncomfortable, but I, I try to be that in my niece's lives. Right. Like I, 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 I'm, I, I am far from asking my nieces whether they're sexually active, yeah. but I'm, I'm, you know, but I'm, but I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to talk to them in the sense of like, Oh yeah, you're dating somebody. That's cool. Like, you know, like it's, it's not, it's not this adversarial thing. And I, I, you know, I, I don't know if, if in your culture, it feels the same way, but in the, in the Hispanic culture, it's very adversarial of just like, the guy's there to win and the woman's there to lose, you know? And so it's like, don't lose woman and go be a champion guys. And that's, yeah. that's not a healthy dichotomy for society, man. I didn't really, I didn't start piercing through that veneer until to be perfectly honest, I started going to a school that was full of Jewish people. And I feel like the Jewish culture handles that pretty well, right? Like I've, I've my, my, my early kind of like non weird, non crazy girls that like, we would hook up and then I wouldn't go crazy and she wouldn't go crazy afterwards. We're always Jewish chicks. And, and as, as I got to understand that culture a little bit better, I, it just seems like they have a, they have a much healthier outlook on, on the neutrality that is sexual engagement and, 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 and how it just fits into society. Yeah. It's just, it's science, right? It is simple. It's not simple. It's fun. It's, it's, it's amazing. Right. Yeah. But I, culturally us as well we have certain things where we say i heard a lot of things like hey son you jump off the porch yet like just different things that that you have to go out there you're not a man until you get you something you know like yeah. yeah yeah we i think culturally in many cultures it's like that across the board because people understand deep down inside the responsibility of what sex is and what can it do to you how your, like your life changes your motivations change what you wear, what you do, what you say, because a lot of guys curtail their entire lives to making sure they can get what they want. You got nicknamed the hormone. I think that's the greatest nickname. Tell your sister that was amazing. I really got a good laugh out of that one. That's amazing. And I just think we just need to talk about it some more. It shouldn't be so taboo. 100%. Do we want our kids having sex at 12? No, nobody wants that, right? But the reality is there are some kids that are running in there unprepared and a lot of things are happening. But if we had a conversation and they can come to, come to the adult or the person around them and they can really get some prepared knowledge and maybe some defense yeah, and offense, yeah, yeah, yeah. Be better. It just, we should just have to talk about it because it's in our music, it's in our television. It's everywhere you look, sex is everywhere right now. Sex is a, you turn on whatever you want to turn on. Your, your weather girl has a tight dress on. She looks amazing, right? Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. it, once, once you start having sex eyes, you can't unsee any of that. Yeah, it's going to be 70 degrees tomorrow, but do you see <laughs> Catherine right now? She looks amazing. <laughs> She's hot. I know it's supposed to be cold tomorrow, but she is hot. Like, So it's yeah. just so many things that I just wanted to bring to the I floor. love it, man. I love it, dude. And I equate it to this idea that in my culture, drinking wasn't taboo, right? So like I lived in Spain as a kid and at eight years old, a waiter would be like, does the boy want some wine? 
And I, you know, by, by, by the time, and then I grew up in Miami, which is a party city, right? So by, by the time I, by the time I got to college, I knew my way around, I knew my way around booze. And I was never the guy that was out of control at a party that was going to do something stupid. That was, right. you know, this or that. While like the guys that got there with like parents, I like, would refuse to expose them to that culture and 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 not demystify were the blackout guys that were doing dumb shit. So it's the same with sex. It's the it's same with sex. Same. I agree. I agree with that one thousand percent. Absolutely. Absolutely. Should there be a training program amongst men, a level of education in our communities outside of the church, outside of school, outside of the boys and girls club? And what I mean by that is, let's say you and I were neighbors and you were talking about financial literacy and I was talking about how to change a tire and we shared this information with each other and now we give this information to the kids in the community, to our nieces and nephews, people around us and we're just building this conversation as the topic where we have financial literacy, communication, how to change a tire, how to change a tie, gardening, general wealth building, stocks, real estate, speaking with the elderly with intent. Do you ever think we can build a tribe of relationships to upgrade the communication level in our communities where we have a basic level of knowledge because so many of us whether we live in a small town or a big city where people don't even use cars as much we still should have this basic knowledge of information because eventually some people move people travel yep. what do you think of that Jim? that's everything i believe yes 100 percent, 100 a thousand percent yes right like i i, I you know to me i Again, I've talked about uncles. I've talked about my parents. I was always friends with my dad's friends, right? Like, like I, I, I was that little kid, man. I, I think that the, the sign of a well-functioning society is intergenerational relationships. Mm. And the more that we can push to forge intergenerational relationships, right? You with someone 20 years older than you, you with someone 20 years younger than you, the better that we're gonna make culture and society fit as a fabric. And, and to your point, right? Like right now we're getting to the point where that's totally doable and totally scalable, right? Like YouTube is now that. Now the, the, the next level is some curation around it, right? Like you, you, wanna, you wanna contextualize to the individual. So uh, a, a young kid growing up in, you know, a neighborhood in Miami versus a young kid growing up in a neighborhood in Dubai will need a slightly different lens to it in order for it to land well. But yeah, man, I think peer-to-peer -peer intergenerational knowledge is how we're going to get through what we're going through right now. Like, like there is, there's this, I'll go down this rabbit hole. There's this theory by a like 13th century Islamic scholar. That is that society and culture goes through these cycles, right? Like they've been going through these cycles since the beginning of time. And the cycle has four steps to it, which corresponds to four generations. The first generation is the world is under a giant struggle and these visionaries, these leaders, these people that can like motivate to get all of us to congeal and go through this like big uplift of, of pain and work to get to a new normal that's necessary. It's generation one. The next generation is the people that take over after those guys that are so marked by guys and girls, right? At this point, right? Like so marked by that struggle that they're seeking coexistence. They're seeking what norms can we just all agree on and what can we like let go so that we don't have to go through the struggle. Mm -hmm. Third generation is so removed from that struggle and so used to the coexistence that they're like, I, 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 
I gonna get a little bit of me over here, right? Like that's like the the materialistic individualistic generation. And then after that generation comes the fourth generation that's like, we've lost our way. Look how materialistic and individualistic we are. We need a revolution. And then the revolution starts again, right? So right. this, and this is from the 14th century. You can go all the way back to Greek times and see like the writings of how this keeps on happening. You wanna talk in the US right now, right? Like. 50 years ago, we were going through the Ruth Bader Ginsburg stuff and we're going through the civil rights movement. And now we're again, going through our new civil rights movement, our new feminism movement. It's happening in that same exact time span. And, and my take on it is that between generation four and generation one, there is going to be a massive shift because the world changes, right? Like right now, what's changed is this idea that information is free and everybody has a megaphone. And we got to figure out again, how we scale relationships and how we're able to communicate in this new medium of communication. But that being said, all the lessons that we learned from the civil rights movement of the seventies and the women's, women's empowerment of the seventies and all the stuff that happened is, and the transition of society from there to there, all those lessons can still feed this, thing so we're not just like fighting hand to hand non-stop and that the the intergenerational perspective of of really like understanding what people went through then and contextualizing it to what people are going through right now right like having the conversations between the 25 year old and the 65 year old right now will make it so that we don't go through a revolution we go through an enlightenment Right. Like to me, the difference between revolution and enlightenment period and renaissance revolution to renaissance is the information of contextualization of people that have done it before, because we always live in cycles, man. So, yeah, <laughs> we are each other's libraries. And I think a lot of people forget to, to remember that. And it's I don't like it when I talk to my nieces and nephews and ask them, how was your day? And they say, fine. And that is the end of the conversation. It has to be more than that. And that's why I want to procure this conversation where if they have a stock, we can talk about stocks. If they learning how to change the tire, we can have some type of conversation that passes on, like you said, the different cycles and information and read each other's libraries and they can get that wisdom and knowledge from each other. Because the free thought of a young person can help free the mind of a person of wisdom who is set in his ways and vice versa, right? So this is an amazing thing. And I appreciate your answer for that question. I appreciate you saying that we are each other's libraries, man. That is a line straight out of the intro of my podcast, right? <laughs> like every, you know, to, to, to me, this idea that every, there's this quote by Ralph Waldo Emerson that is in my walks, every man I meet is in some way my superior and in that I can learn from him, right? right. So to me, it's everybody that you meet has some kind of value nugget, like has they've spent longer thinking about doing something that you haven't spent time doing. Right. And if you approach the world that way, every conference you walk into is a library, every networking event you walk into is a library, right? Like, like how, how can you distill the lessons from someone else's journey into your own path and or to be able to share to somebody else that may be taking that path? is the key to all of this. And it's the key to my success. It's the key to everything that I've done well. And yeah, I'm I'm literally all I'm working on is enabling that. So when you tell me, can we do this? I'm like, yeah, that's what I'm that's what I'm doing. Like that's that's the key to everything. Absolutely. That's what I'm doing with this show as well. Dr. Miles Moreau said when someone dies early, it's like burning down a forest for all the seeds and things they could have planted. And I take that seriously. And that's, that's why I'm putting in my two cents. And I'm trying yeah. to go with you today. And I appreciate everything you had to say with all the comments. And we are doing it. We are being the changes we want to see. Every this is 
this is one part of our legacy. You may go on to have children. I may go on to have children. You may go on to have a building named after you. I may go on to have a building. I may start a nonprofit, whatever. But at the end of the day, this content that we're putting out, right? Like this, this contextualized, this is what I was thinking with the world under this scenario. And this is how I'm reacting. And when you consume this content, you're going to have the perspective of, well, that worked or didn't work, or I liked how this worked and how that didn't work. This is a legacy, man. You know, like I, I really see, I really see people that are making content right now. Like I look at, I look at D-Rock. I think he's the most important historian of our time. <laughs> you got to enlighten the people. Why you feel that about D-Rock? I mean, so D-Rock is the guy that follows Gary Vee around with a camera and, 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 and takes everything that Gary Vee is doing and saying and distributes it out to the rest of the team for them to put it out into LinkedIn and Instagram and podcasts and, and YouTube channels, right? So, so when I think about it, again, it goes back to this whole reading the book about Steve Jobs' life 10 years after he died or reading the book about Steve Jobs' life as he's writing it, right? So it all has value and we're always going to be able to my brother, bro. Right. Like I, I have this one video of my brother um, singing this song Pedro Navaja while he's driving and like just jamming out that I loved, I love to watch it. Right. Right. Uh, how much would I love, you know, my, my brother was this guy that we have this like family email chain and his thing was every time there was a birthday, he'd write somebody like a poem about them. Right. right? Like, my mom saved all those, right? Like how much, how much would I love right now to be watching conversations of my brother talking to somebody at 40 years old and just like, just shooting the shit and, 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 and trying to figure out like him saying what he's saying, right? Like, like I, I, there was, you know, something else that really shaped me was this idea that my brother at a certain point told me that he felt that he already peaked. This was before he, before he got sick or anything like that, right? Like, telling me that he had already peaked and telling me that like, listen, man, I've just been doing all this work, just accepting the fact that I've peaked and it is what it is. And I'm like, how can you say that? But now, now as I approach, I, now I'm 40 and I'm in two years, I'm going to be the age he was when he passed. Will I agree with him? Right? Like I, I, I would love to be able to revisit that, like what he was thinking, what he was saying in content for my brother. I would love to go back and read my grandfather's journals as he was thinking about bro, do I leave Cuba? <laughs> like, do I, do I shut it down or do I go? Right. right. Like I, like I'm, I'm, I'm now doing the work of just like having these like structured conversations with my dad about his life and whatever, and, and recording it and having this. Cause I'm dude, like, dude, that's something he's not going to be here, man. And, and, and again, in his walks, I can find a lot of lessons that right now may not land on me, but right. if I revisit it in 20 years, I may be like, yeah, motherfucker was right. Or like, this is what he was wrong about. I tell people all the time that you should interview your parents, no matter good, bad, or indifferent how you feel about it, interview your parents because they're, they, a, a lot of us are brainwashed when we're little. When yeah. we're little, it's just mommy and daddy. We don't know that they have their own life, their own struggles, their own worries, and you can't even resonate with that because you don't even know what a bill is. You don't know what is going on in the world. You're just a child in this world, in your small world. And I encourage everyone to interview their parents. We got a few more questions and then I'm a, uh, let you out of here today. I know I want to thank you for sticking around for so long and the conversation has been great. Yeah, I got a hard stop at 930 uh, for me. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, hard stop. I, I, I'm with it. I, I, I'm watching the time. I appreciate that. Yeah. I want to poll you. I want to know the top three things you want to, you like in a woman. 
the top three things that's for you. And the reason I ask this question is sometimes I feel that men leave a certain one out. Now this is subjective, there's no wrong answer. I just wanna have the conversation about which one I feel is left out. Now, if you say it, we still can talk about it. If you don't say it, I'll tell you what it is. Yeah, but, cool, man. I would say, like, like, like based on my wife, top three things I like on a woman is she has to have a really strong sense of self. Mm, it's big. You know, oh, 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 I, 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 I need to be with somebody that has their own view of shit, right? Like I, I, before meeting my wife, I was engaged and I literally broke off the engagement five months prior to the wedding because I'm like, dude, we get along great, but this is somebody that has kind of just subscribed to what you're supposed to be doing at all times and does it. Mm-hmm. And that's the opposite of me, right? Like I'm a fence tester. So I know that, I know that that's going to lead to some clashing, but I, I definitely need, like I, the, the thing that most attracts me in a woman is this like idea that she's going to pick her own. She's going to, she is making her own decisions, right? Like that's, that's one that to me is sense of self. Um, I need a woman that is really good at something, man. You know, like, like I, I like I, I need to be around, you know, the, 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 the woman that I'm most attracted to all are just like, dude, I need to add that tool to my tool belt. <laughs> you know, like, like I need, I, I, I need to see that in them. And, you know, three, I would say it's some, some level of physical attraction as well. Right. Like, like, I, like I need to, like, like I, you know, I, I, I would be absolutely lying if, if I told you that there, there isn't, that there didn't have to be, it kind of comes with it though, man. Like, I think, I think sense, you know, like doing your own thing and knowing that you're good at something makes you more attractive, attractive, more apt to like have sex in a way that you're pleasing yourself and pleasing someone else. You, you, you know what? You, you on to something there, sir. A woman who really is in tune with herself is a lot of, is a lot of great things that, that go with that. And, and one of the things I ask people to add to that list, whether yeah. it's not in your top three or not, is intelligence. Now, yeah. I say intelligence because it's not guaranteed. A lot of people assume it is, but it's definitely not. And some of those conversations can be very attractive as well and along with her intelligence along with her ambitions and along with her self-love and she's intelligence like all different levels of intelligence different levels of intelligence but you add some of those things like that into it man right there you already you're that's foreplay (laughs) that's that's a that's that's a high level of foreplay let me see when when i describe my wife one of the first things i describe is intelligence um yes I think that I was wrapping intelligence into that second part, right? Like you did, like you actually, you did, you did. There's many types of intelligence. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like emotional intelligence, mm-hmm. uh, book intelligence, kinetic intelligence, mm-hmm. right? Like th- there's 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 many forms of intelligence. But yeah, the, the the proof. The second, the second one you wrapped it completely. I just I just the yeah. word intelligence I used, but the second one definitely. 100%. I definitely said the second one. I was was like, yeah, this is good because, but I'm starting to feel in my perspective that self-love is probably the most important thing in a relationship Mm -hmm. and Mm self-like, like and love. I I believe those are two different things, but I think a person needs to master both of those before they can disseminate it to anyone else. Not master, 
I just have sense of it at least. Yeah, be working on it. <laughs> be working on it, right? Because if, Listen, they, they, if they run from it, it's gonna hurt everybody. Yeah. You know what I have found, man, that is the most important part of relationships is boundaries. And that includes self-love, right? Like to me, to me, like the perfect boundary, I think Brene Brown said this, right? But the perfect boundary is the distance from when I can love myself and I can love you equally. <laughs> and if you don't have that well-defined, then you bleed into these areas that are somewhere between entitlement to lack of self-worth. Right. So that that perfect boundary in a relationship, and and I'll bring it to an anecdote, right? Like one of these, one of these really dark periods in our life, right? Like the like the end of my ninety my ninety day thing was this like euphoric thing where I found something, but a month later, shit hadn't popped off like I wanted it to, and my wife was in like a deep dark hole of she was very depressed at the time and she was really questioning everything, and we got to this point where I knew our anniversary was coming up a couple weeks prior to that. She kind of looked at me and said, why are you even here still? Can't you tell I've given up on myself? And can't you tell that, you know, that, that, that there's, that we're not going anywhere here and this and that. I was like, you know what? I'm here because I've always believed in you more than you believe in yourself. And I still see it. And I think this is a temporary thing and it's going to get better. And, and that's why I'm here. Cause I think it's in my own best interest to be perfectly honest. Right. But a couple of weeks later was our anniversary. I knew that I had to make a significant effort for it, right? Like I got a, this like bird feeder that I hung out out in, out in front of the, uh, in front of our kitchen window. Cause she loves birds, surprised her with it in the morning. I planned the day to go to the Springs um, and like float down this lazy river and have a beautiful outdoor day. Took the day off of work to do it. And the entire day passed without her having done an outward gesture towards me. Right. Like, no, like, let's take a picture and post happy anniversary. No card, no sexy time that night. Right. Like, you know, there was, there was no outward gesture the next morning as we were having breakfast. I'm like, listen, I, I'm not an idiot. I know what's happening here. I know that I know you're depressed. I know that you have told me that you've given up on yourself. Ergo given up on me as well. I'm still here for my own self-interest. I know that I know that you have the ability to overcome this and you overcoming this makes me a better person. Mm. That being said, all day yesterday, I was out on this limb asking you to step out there with me and you never did it. And there's a shelf life to that. You know, like at at some point, at some point I'm I'm in here again. I'm Short term, yes. Oh, I'm doing this for you. I'm supporting you, but I'm in it for me long term. And at and, and at a certain point, there's a shelf life to you not out there on that limb with me. And the moment that we had that conversation, Sheen, our relationship got way better, bro. Like it it went it went from me like continually retreating to me holding my ground and saying, "This is the boundary, and there is a boundary, and I know that this could end in divorce or this could end in happily ever after, but there is a boundary here." You just referenced one of my favorite movies of all time by Robert with Robin Williams and Cuba Gooding Jr. What Dreams May Come. I don't know if you ever seen that film, but in that film, real quick summarization, because I know we're going to shut this down in a minute. The film is about a married couple who had two kids. The kids die in a horrific car accident. The wife loses her mind. She checks herself. She gets checked into a uh, mental facility. She's giving up on herself. The husband comes with divorce papers in one hand and release papers in the other hand. And he says to her, 
I don't want to do this alone without you. Now you can sign these papers or you can come with me right now. And, and you know, basically I have this limb, I have olive branch stand out to you. So she goes with him and repair, they repair their life. A year later, he dies in a car accident and she's left alone. And when she's left alone, she's a painter. So she starts painting and he's in heaven watching her paintings because they're soulmates. But then she kills herself because she can't stand losing all of that. So what happens when you kill yourself and, you know, biblical, you go straight to hell. His love was so strong that he compelled God and his guardian angel to take him to hell to go get his wife. So sometimes we have to reach that far and that deep for something we know is good for us and good for them at the same time. I love that movie. If you've never seen What Dreams May Come is a old 90s film, early 2000s. Check it out. It's a great movie to watch. I saw that movie as a kid, but you just totally made me want to rewatch it again with my wife. That sounds <laughs> the awesome. Movie, the movie is amazing. It's an amazing film. As a husband, would you rather have a great woman or a great wife? Now, this question is subjective. And now you you have, there's no wrong answer. But when you answer, answer why. Be very brief because we're closing it out. But let me know how you feel about that. Oh, man, as a husband, I'm a partner, man. And I need a partner, right? So my, my head immediately went to great woman. But I think the connotation of wife doesn't have to be a bad word. To me, it just means that you are, you are my partner in all things financial, spiritual, romantic, personal. Right. So I think you need a great wife. Like I think I and and or husband if you're a gay dude, right? Like whatever, whatever it is, if you're gonna plan your life around someone, the game of marriage is a constant game of what is the equation of this compromise? Is this compromising me or is this giving up something for the goal that we're trying to reach? And, and, and a great partner is someone that is willing to do both, right? Like, like some, some, sometimes you gotta, you gotta have an end in mind that you're working on together. And naturally for a lot of people that manifest as kids, when we don't have kids, so I don't have that, I don't have that crutch. I have to, I have to, every, every decision, every day that I choose my wife and choose building something together with her is the day that I am making the choice of, you know what, me and her paired up together, make up a greater sum than the parts. So you need somebody like that. I need somebody like that, which to me says it's a great woman that has decided and chosen to be a great wife and be a great partner. Absolutely. Great answer, sir. Now you answered this question earlier without knowing I was going to ask it, but I'm going to run through this really quickly and we're going to get ready to close out. Yeah. I came up with something called operating at 100%. And what I mean by that is I took five categories, purpose, health, confidence, money, and knowledge. Again, that's purpose, health, confidence, money, and knowledge. Purpose means you're living your purpose, doing your due diligence, working towards your goals. Health means you're eating right, working out, praying, and meditating. Confidence means you're doing it confidently without any insecurities, fear, or in, or any uh, insecure. Did I say insecurities? Intimidation. Excuse me. Money means you made a little money, saved a little money, donated to a charity, or invested a little money. And knowledge means you took in some new information. 
So that's purpose, health, confidence, money, and knowledge. Mr. Pablo, I ask you, within the tw last 24 hours, how much of 100% have you been operating out of when it comes to purpose, health, confidence, money, and knowledge, 20% each? Ah, uh, man, I, I want to say, I want to say I'm in the nineties, right? Like I, I'm, if, if I, if I were to say, if I were to say there's an area that isn't at 20% per, right? Like purpose, I'm on purpose, right? Like I'm, I'm very clear on that. I have never felt more confident about my abilities to deliver um health you said you work up health bro i don't know if you checked my instagram lately but i had a sweet picture of me surfing yesterday morning <laughs> i went on a four mile run today at 5 15 in the morning with my with, with greg the guy from jw who's my business yeah. partner um you know I, I i would say in uh in wealth i i took a little like i'm i am right now lining up my ducks to buy my second investment income rental income property and um and, and Peloton took a little bit of a dip yesterday, right? Which, which was what I was going to fund it with. Uh, I, I still think I'm good. And, 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 and in, in confidence, you know, two days ago, I was told that a, a client that had given me a verbal yes is now rethinking everything. Yeah. But yesterday, you know, two new people showed up that are just like hot and heavy and, and, and raiding a bite on it. Right. So like, maybe a little bit lacking on the, on the, on the wealth and the, and, and the confidence piece based on, you know, based on a couple of those things. But I think I'm operating in the, like the mid to high nineties, man. Yeah. That's amazing, man. Continue the hard work. Thank you, sir. You are now part of the silhouette boys club. It is people like you who move in the shadows to help people like me shine. Now, before you go, we love to get referrals for the show. Is there anyone you like out there? that you would like to tell us about, connect us with, that can come on this show and talk about this conversation in manhood. Yeah, man, for sure. I would love to, I would love to introduce you to my buddy, Jerry McNamara. I would love to introduce you to um, my buddy, Wally Conway, both a couple of these uh, intergenerational relationship guys that I think are super duper woke and, 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 and really on it. Um, my buddy, Daniel Holmes, who's a, a fighter and a coach for kids. Um, and also a good marketer in his own right. I got, yeah, I got a million recommendations to give you, man. I, listen, she, if, I, if I could go back to that purpose, wealth, health, knowledge, and confidence. Yeah. In that, in that 90 day period that I took to reverse engineer everything, right? Like the reason why I think I'm operating at 90% is what I want to give is, is the idea that in the second conference I went to, I heard somebody say, if you're going to build a business that isn't anything other than you using your superpower as a thing that's going to drive the business, go get a job. Right. Yeah. And, you know, so, so I've, I've, I've really stuck to that, right? Like I've really stuck to this idea that all I've ever cared about is making friends and making people friends with each other. How can I make this into a, a real business? And, and I found that the formula to do that. And, and because I'm doing that, because I'm in my superpower, taking at bats in my strike zone, serving the world with what I think is my gift, then that allows me to be very aligned. And I think that's a four-step process. The first step is figure out what you love to do that you're also really, really good at, right? Like whatever that is that you are wired for, 
that that you love doing that you're really really good at that people notice you for you got to identify that piece right that that now becomes your superpower the next part is generally when we have those gifts we use them for ourselves figure out how to serve others with that gift right so like identify your superpower identify a way to use it to help other people right um after you figure that out is identify a way to monetize that service in an authentic fashion, right? Like in a way that doesn't feel like you're selling out in order to, in order to monetize that service. When I look at me, my superpower is that I fought, you know, I see something extraordinary in everybody that I meet and I fall in love with them and I'm really good at communicating it. Right. So like I'm a great friend maker. So first it's like, I figured out I'm really good at making friends. Then I service it by, I, I found a way to service people by I'm really good at getting other people to, connect with each other, right? Like I'm, I'm good at serving in this capacity, not just like who's going to be my friend, but who's going to be your friend that you introduced through me. Then third was a little bit harder, right? In that 90 day period, as I'm trying to figure that out, it was like charge for introductions, have a mastermind, you know, all these things that I didn't want to do. It didn't feel right. Mm. And, and I, and I stuck to this idea of like, nah, bro, that, that, that cheapens the, the interaction for me. It doesn't feel like my superpower. And I ended up creating this company where I'm essentially just a world-class hype man, because what I'm doing is helping people create content about themselves and the people around them while I moderate the conversation and then turn this into like relationship flywheel. And once I figured that out and it worked one time and I was able to monetize genuinely the service that comes from this place of power for me, now it's build and scale a business around that. So now that I'm in step four, I'm just always aligned because I'm always just using my, at the end of the day, my business runs because of my ability to like meet people, make them feel like they have value to offer and be like, yo, we got to put that value on a platter for everybody else and everybody around you's value on a platter, right? So now that I'm in that spot where I identified my superpower, I used it to serve others. I figured out how to charge that charge for that in a way that is genuine and is more valuable to the person that I give it to than what I charge now building a business around it has it so that I'm just always doing something that I am passionate about. So I'm in purpose. I'm always learning how to do it better because I really care. Mm -hmm. I am making a bunch of money doing it because I love doing it. Right? Like what, what are the other ones? Oh, I'm confident in it because every interaction that I have is a positive feedback loop about how I'm supposed to do it. And then what was the fifth one? Health. You, you doing that and health. And I'm energized, man. Like I've never been more energized than I am right now because I'm just always working on what I love and what I love working on is not subtracting from what I'm supposed to be working on. Absolutely. That was great, man. And I love your competitiveness to make sure you always operate at hundred percent. Before you go, is there anything you'd like to say to the people, any information you'd like to live, uh, leave where they can follow you, do things with you, let them know about your podcast. We only got a few minutes to go. Yeah, sure, man. Listen, if I, if I was, if I was to leave some knowledge with people is don't try to be a king, try to be a kingmaker, right? Like if you're, if you're trying to be king, you're just going to compete with everybody for the throne. If you're the kingmaker, then everybody that wants the throne wants to be your ally, right? Like another way to put that is don't try to be the star of the stage, try to be a stage, right? Like being that connection point where, where people are able to realize their hopes and dreams by working with you is who you want to be. Not the person that is trying to figure out your hopes and dreams to the, to the detriment of other people to, for other people to lose. That would be the, the number one piece of knowledge that I would, that I would impart on people. And then last is 
I would encourage you to check out my podcast, Chief Executive Connector Podcast. That's my baby. I would encourage you to check out episode 69 uh, and episode seven, which those are my last call episodes where I went through and I kind of copied Kanye's last call and Logic's last call. And I did this like storytelling, rapping, ranting thing about 2019 was the beginning of my business. The 2020 is, is how like I've established my business, but it's all done going in and out of like talking and rapping and like having a motivational speech over beats that I had custom produced. And it's really the two coolest things that I've ever put out. So I would hope you, you check out the last call 2019 and last call 2020. For those listening, you can reach me at solutionsformen at gmail.com to be a guest on the show. Also at Sheen One and all platforms. Let's continue this conversation on Clubhouse, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. We end today's show with a quote from Dr. Miles Monroe. True success is not measured by how much you have done or accomplished. It's not compared to what others have done or accomplished. True success is what you have done compared to what you could have done. In other words, living to the maximum is competing with yourself. It's living up to your own standards and capabilities. Success is satisfying your own personal passion and purpose in pursuit of personal excellence. So question of the day, question of your life, are you maximizing your life? Ladies and gentlemen, this has been Solutions. Mr. Pablo Gonzalez, thank you so much. I wanted to get a chance to talk to you about that picture of Outcast on your wall, but you spoke volumes of what episode seven and 69 is all about on your podcast. He is a hip hop lover, ladies and gentlemen, and we're going to let him go about his day. Thank you so much, sir. Have a good day. Thank you, Chima. Appreciate it, man.